The earliest recorded accounts of dreams date from over 5,000 years ago, when the nocturnal visions of kings and queens of ancient Mesopotamia were literally carved into stone. Sometime later, ancient Greek mythology elevated the importance of dreams to that of deity by attributing a god, Morpheus, to govern the dream world. In the Bible, you have prophets Daniel, Isaiah, and most obviously in the book of Genesis, Joseph and his coat of many colours. Around about the same time, the Hindu faith had the Upanishads texts that debated the meaning of dreams. Jumping forward a few millennia to the Elizabethan England, Shakespeare explored dreams in Macbeth, A Midsummer Night's Dream, and The Tempest. And as for film, the oldest surviving dream sequence dates from 1900, when British director G.A. Smith made the short story Let Me Dream Again. Running for just over a minute, it features a man and a woman drinking and smoking and laughing. The man is middle-aged while the woman is considerably younger, but both of them are dressed up for an evening's entertainment. He is in evening wear, with she in a clown's costume. Their revelry continues on for about 40 seconds, at which point the image suddenly goes out of focus and then cuts to a shot of the same man asleep in bed with another woman, whom we immediately infer is his wife. He wakens and is visibly disappointed to discover what he was experiencing was only a dream. His wife admonishes him for, well, we don't know why, but perhaps we can assume it is because she knows he's been dreaming yet again of another woman. In Sam Mendes' American Beauty, Lester Burnham, played by Kevin Spacey, is caught doing the very same thing by his wife Carol, played by Annette Benning. What are you doing? Nothing. You were masturbating. I was not. Yes, you were. Oh, all right, so shoot me. I was whacking off. Besides Smith's film being the oldest surviving example, there are a number of interesting things going on. Firstly, the way Smith signaled the transition from fantasy to reality. He did so by slipping out of focus, which, in a way, is the visual equivalent of an author putting words in quotation marks, or in theatre, the light changing and a character delivering an aside to the audience. Smith's blurring of the image was so effective it influenced generations of filmmakers who more extreme sequences in their films in exactly the same way. Which meant that pretty soon, the moment the image went out of focus, or to quote a later technique, began to wave as if water were running down the screen, the audience understood what followed was not real. But of all the techniques available, how did Smith land upon the idea of going out of focus? Because in order to present a scene, the image has to be in focus and what is in focus is real. And the opposite of real is fantasy, and the opposite of focus is the blurred image. Within a few decades, cinema had become more literate, by which I mean the language of film, its grammar, syntax and vocabulary, had become much more sophisticated. The development of the dissolve meant that the image did not have to go out of focus, but instead gently transition from one image to the next. The gentle transition became a recognisable cue that in certain instances filmmakers could use to suggest a withdrawal from the real world and an entrance to a dreamscape. Another was the double exposure. For instance, in Buster Keaton's 1924 classic Sherlock Jr, the comedian plays a projectionist in a cinema and while screening a film he falls asleep. Keaton then uses a double exposure so we see him asleep and then a faint version of his self waking up 
leaving the projection booth, going down into the cinema, and getting up on the screen, where he intervenes in the action. In 1985, Woody Allen took that premise and reversed it for one of his several masterpieces, The Purple Rose of Cairo. You know, I still can't get over the fact that 24 hours ago I was in an Egyptian tomb. I didn't know any of you wonderful people. And here I am now, I'm on the verge of a madcap Manhattan weekend. My God, you must really love this picture. Me? You've been here all day, and I've seen you here twice before. You mean me? Yes, you, you, you. This is the fifth time you're seeing this. Henry, come here, quickly. I gotta speak to you. Oh my God! There, Ted Baxter, played by Jeff Daniels, comes down off the silver screen and enters the real world. But what is really groundbreaking about Keaton's sequence is that while it is clearly a dream, he then goes on to place himself in settings and situations that have absolutely no causal effect with one another. From being outside the hall door of a mansion, the setting abruptly cuts to Keaton in a moonlit garden, then a daylight street, next a cliff top, then a jungle replete with lions, and then the desert, or at least we think it is the desert, until a train thunders by. And after that, Keaton finds himself sitting on a rock by the sea. He dives from the rock, but instead of diving into the water, he lands in a snowdrift. Getting up, he gathers his bearings and leans against a tree, only for the image to jump yet again, and he finds himself falling over and landing back in the moonlit garden. You've probably already noticed from my descriptions that while the settings are completely disparate, Keaton threads them by way of his movement. He literally and figuratively tumbles from one space to another. So while the sequence is surreal, it operates by its own internal logic. However, for all of Keaton's ingenuity, the transition from reality to reverie was clearly marked. Filmmakers have constantly sought new techniques to articulate events. And so with the coming of sound, music was used as a cue. So listen to the way in The Wizard of Oz, Victor Fleming has Dorothy waken not from, but to her dream. That's what we hear, but visually, the transition is neither a dissolve, nor does the image go out of focus. Instead, it is a straight cut, and then we find ourselves transitioning from monochrome to three-strip technicolor. Of course, many great films and many great filmmakers have used dream sequences. Jean Cocteau's Belle et la Bête and Orphe, Alfred Hitchcock's Spellbound and Vertigo, Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries, Persona and Hour of the Wolf, and Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half, Juliet of the Spirits and City of Women are each laced with dreams. In fact, Fellini referred to cinema as a dream we dream with our eyes open. Then you have Roman Polanski's Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby, Terry Gilliam's Brazil, the Coen brothers' The Big Lebowski and A Serious Man, Pedro Almodovar's Talk to Her, not to mention David Lynch's A Razorhead, Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, Lost Highway, Actually, Lynch's filmography is so dominated by dreams, it is easier to name the one film that doesn't feature them. The Straight Story. But startling as those sequences are, they are all in quotation marks. There is never any doubt that what we are witnessing is the subjective unconscious of a single character within the story. 
However, there is yet another mode of dream sequence, and that is where there is absolutely no signal at all given to the viewer that we have entered the dreamscape, or indeed, that we have left it. Stanley Kubrick played that very game in his last picture, Eyes Wide Shut. And even though it was clear by the end that we were dealing with a fractured mind, Martin Scorsese frequently misled audiences in Shutter Island. And misleading audiences with a dream sequence accounts for long sections of the Matrix trilogy and the last 30 minutes of Steven Spielberg's Minority Report. You're a part of my flock now, John. Welcome. It's actually kind of a rush. They say you have visions, that your life flashes before your eyes, that all your dreams come true. Such an approach can perhaps be traced to Louis Bunuel's Belle du Jour, where Severine Sarkozy, played by Catherine Deneuve, is a middle-class housewife who, while her husband is away at his high-paying office job, spends her afternoons in a brothel, where she works as a prostitute. Or does she? Bunuel's filmography was punctuated with dream sequences, Un Chien Andalou, Los Olvidados, The Discreet Charmer of the Bourgeoisie, That Obscure Object of Desire. But, beginning with Belle de Jour, what made Bunuel's approach different was to shoot each scene in an identical manner so that there was no hint whatsoever that what we are watching is a dream. Uncanny as the scenes may feel, you're not certain as to their veracity simply because there are no quotation marks. Eventually you start to wonder how you got there. Think about it Ariadne, how did you get here? Where are you right now? Dreaming? You're actually in the middle of the workshop right now, sleeping. This is your first lesson in shared dreaming. Stay calm. For me, one of the most inventive presentations of a dream came in 1962 with the release of John Frankenheimer's The Manchurian Candidate. Adapted from Richard Condon's novel, it details a conspiracy concocted where communists have so infiltrated American politics that they intend to assassinate a presidential nominee and replace him with their own agent. It takes place in the wake of the Korean War, where a veteran, Raymond Shaw, played by Lawrence Harvey, comes home to a hero's welcome, having saved his platoon. Only some of those survivors are now plagued with nightmares, and the nightmares suggest that they've been brainwashed. Modern discovery, which we owe to the hydrangea, concerns the influence of air drainage upon plant climate. Many years ago, when I was traveling about the country, I noticed magnificent hydrangeas on the hills, where the air drainage was uh, perfect. The brilliance of the sequence is that Frankenheimer, his cinematographer Lionel Linden, and production designer Richard Silbert, devised a shot that allowed for the camera to pan around the lecture theatre in a full 360-degree rotation. But by the time it had returned to its starting point... Allow me to introduce our American visitors. I must ask you to forgive their somewhat lackadaisical manners, but I have conditioned them, or brainwashed them, which I understand is the new American word, to believe that they are waiting out a storm in the lobby of a small hotel in New Jersey, where a meeting of the... Ladies Garden Club is in progress. The shift isn't so much from reality to dream, as it is from one dream to another, and the transition is seamless. 
no blurring of the image, no dissolves, no cuts, transitions to colour, or even the use of sound. It all happened before our very eyes and ears, and we didn't even notice. I close my eyes. 